Welcome to the 14th episode of the Film Illiterates podcast, your home for uninformed, unfiltered, ill-advised movie talk. I'm your host, Joe Campbell, and joining me today are Nate Stone. Hey, everyone. How's it going? And Alex Patton. Yo. 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 Ho, yo, ho. Today we're going to be talking about Pirates of the Caribbean. Exactly. (laughs) Not uh, April Fool's. Uh, exactly. Oh, that's right. We are recording this on April Fool's Day. <laughs> right. Yeah. We got you, Joe. You're right. Dang. I I feel like we should have picked this uh, a little more strategically, but it just let it happen as let it, it goes. Let it go. Okay. Bring... Oh, I thought you were going with the frozen. Let it know. Oh okay. my gosh, you guys are killing me today. Why don't you Why don't you just take it from here now? Where we kill this more well, than you are. Bring the noise and kill the queen because today we are back with our second director spotlight episode, and today we're going to be focusing on Edgar Wright. Tonight we will be partaking of a cinematic repast as we wend our way up his filmography, commencing with an inaugural discussion on Shaun of the Dead, then on to Hot Fuzz, The World's End, and Shaun of the Dead. Shit, I wrote this wrong. <laughs> Way to go. Anyway, before we... The, the, the last bittersweet analysis of the most fateful Terminus baby driver. Leave a light on good audience, because though we may finish with a twinkle in our eyes, we will in truth be blind. Drunk. And he was pretty much you were drunk when you wrote this, I guess. Uh, yeah, I, I botched this up totally. Didn't do any proofreading, <laughs> and that's the way I roll. Honestly, he probably just, you were actually probably in light and essence of Edgar Wright and actually did your own pub crawl while you were writing. I this. wish I had. That would have been great. I, I mean, I had one beer earlier. This is another one, but uh, yeah, it would have been great if I had written that in a pub. <laughs> Actually, probably uh, Joe's version of a pub crawl is just going outside from his house to his next door neighbors and just asking for beer. <laughs> <laughs> and then going to the next house and asking for beer. <laughs> Please, sir, sir, I, 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 never, I never beg for beer. I just, I just take it when I see it. <laughs> but as always, let us open up with what we've watched recently. So I just realized I don't think I've gone first like ever since we've started this podcast. I'm going to be very selfish and go first today. So, sure. All right. I'm going to kick this off actually in kind of an Edgar Wright frame of mind. I'm, I'm going to be talking about one of the movies on his list of 1,000 favorite films. Have you guys seen this list Edgar Wright put together? I think a few uh, yeah. years ago. I actually... So Edgar Wright released a list of 1,000 movies he loves. And I decided to pick one of those since we're going to be talking about Edgar Wright. So I watched Who Can Kill a Child? Who Can Kill a Child is from 1976. A couple of English tourists arrive on an island where all the children have gone crazy and murdering the adults. And it's pretty much what that synopsis says. And it's, guys, this movie kind of wrecked me. Like, really? Like, this movie is horrifying. Oh. kind of like on a, a sallow level or no it's i mean it, it, this movie does creepy kids very effectively there's something about the kids in this movie that is just so darn terrifying and i can't place my finger on it there's a scene early on where they're hanging up this old guy like a pinata and going at him with like a scythe and, and something about the way that they're Jeez. laughing and playing around is just incredibly unnerving and the movie just 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 gets worse from there. I mean, as far as like a like a, a horrifying level, and and maybe maybe it's because I I'm I'm a young dad, mm-hmm. but there were a couple of scenes later on that just really got to me. I was like, oh shit, this is this is I I did not know what I was in for with this movie. <laughs> yeah, you probably just had to spend like the next few 
hours just watching, you know, Teletubbies or something like that, just to kind of get you back to um, no, that would that would disturb me even more. That would disturb even more. Okay, well, what calms your nerves when you've seen something that I don't know, Evil Dead Two. Okay, there we go. Of course, (laughs) I would, I would, I would definitely recommend Who Can Kill a Child, especially for horror aficionados. I, I give it props for not going for the you know, the, the, the jump scares, it's just very unnerving. Horror. Yeah, I was going to actually ask, would this kind of fall into the category of exploitive filmmaking? As oh, well? yeah, it's, it's absolutely an exploitation movie. Uh, okay. And, and, and I mean, and it's, it's not as violent as a lot of exploitation movies that you would think of, not, you know, in your face, but just conceptually, some of the places that they go is just thinking like, oh, wow, they, they actually went there. I mean, from the way you described it, it's just like from the one of the earliest scenes of watching these kids, like, you know, take down their victims. And just, as you mentioned, it just escalates from there. Well, yeah, but even that scene is, you don't see a lot on screen. It's just more of a, a the context, knowing yeah. what's going on. Yeah. yeah. So I, I would I would recommend it to to some people if they're curious. Okay. But, uh, if it, it sounds like it would disturb you and like like you you would be haunted by it, I would say no. <laughs> is it like jump scare crazy or just like no atmosphere? Okay. No. Good. No. Very, I, I, it, I'd watch it's it. all all atmosphere. Uh, okay. Yeah, I'd want to check that out. That yeah. Insane. All right. Well, you give me a full report, Alex, next week. Mm-hmm. Uh, next one I'm going to talk about is a movie that I've been wanting to watch for a long time. Uh, have you guys heard of Roar? Yes, yes we have. 1981. Have either of you guys seen Roar? I have seen bits and pieces of it, and even just that was just enough to make me go, holy cow. Especially when you realize what's going on and just how they were handling these animals. And it's just, how did half of the crew not die from this? Roar is a 1981 movie uh, directed by Noel Marshall. A family goes to Africa to meet their father who lives with wild lions. I've been excited for this movie for a while, just knowing how they made it. Uh, Tippi Hedren is in it, who people may famously know was in The Birds. Mm -hmm. Another movie about killer animals. (laughs) The movie itself, the story isn't much to write home about. It's, It's literally just this guy lives in this house on this piece of property in Africa, and his family is coming to visit him. And he leaves the house to go do something, I forget what, and the family arrives when he isn't there. But this guy keeps dozens of big cats, like lions and and tigers and panthers and all these kind of big wild cats on his property. And he just lives there with them. And the family arrives and the cats mess around with them for most of the movie. And then he gets home. Yeah, more than just messes around with them, like actually knocks them out a few times. Well, yeah, yeah. Well, here's the thing about this movie is that the movie itself is kind of boring from a, from a storytelling standpoint, but just knowing how they made it and in, in, in that they, they actually had this little preserve and they raised a lot of these big cats there and they are just palling around with them. Like they're, they're treating lions like they're, they're cats. cats. Yeah. And these, these people are just kind of, they're running around, they're getting knocked down They're These cats are jumping up on them and people got maimed on the set of this movie. Oh yeah, not just the actors, but the crew as well. Like, oh yeah, uh, Jan de Bont, the guy who directed Speed, he was the the uh, the director of photography on this movie. At one point, a I think it was like a lion or something ran over him and bit his skull. And he got a crack in his skull. It was terrible. <laughs> so people got seriously injured on the set of this movie, which is funny because the whole point of the movie is to say like, oh, we need to treat these animals with respect. See, they're they they love us too, and this is all about these people living in harmony with these cats. And in reality, everyone got 
messed up on set. <laughs> Basically, it was probably like the early version of Jackass when you think about it. Yeah, it kind of is. I guess, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's an extended Jackass skit. So uh, I wouldn't really say it lives up to an entertaining watch necessarily. It's The story is very threadbare. There's, there's only so much watching people get messed up <laughs> giant cats you can watch before it gets boring yeah and... i think what i think just what the the big appeal about it is that to know like what you're seeing on screen when someone gets swapped by a lion paw is that that's the real deal yeah exactly it's it's, it's knowing the context behind it that makes it interesting to watch so it makes an interesting one-time watch but if you're just curious to watch it to see if it's entertaining it doesn't really hold up so the last movie i'm going to talk about is a movie that i've been excited about for a while and that is dragged across concrete from this year which just came out uh, a couple weeks ago uh, directed by S. Craig Zoller, once two overzealous cops get suspended from the force, they must delve into the criminal underworld to get their proper compensation. So basically, Mel Gibson and Vince Vaughn play crooked cops who get suspended for uh, police brutality when they basically rough up, I, I guess, like, like a mobster or something like that, a drug dealer. Um, and it gets caught on camera of them them being, being too, too rough with him. So they get suspended for a few weeks. And... They're trying to make some extra money to survive until they get back to the force. So they decided to rob a couple of bank robbers, basically. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, this is from the director of Bone Tomahawk and Brawl and Cell Block 99. Both movies I love quite a bit. Uh, S. Craig Zoller, the director, he's kind of making a name for himself as the king of polished pulp exploitation on a very kind of languid style. It, it, he's very interesting because because his movies are very polished. They look very nice. And he takes his time with the scenes and he lets entire character beats play out. The characters are always really interesting in his movies. They're very layered, complicated, problematic. Everyone has their own worldview in his movies. And he takes time to let, you know, Vince Vaughn eat a, a sandwich on screen for two minutes. Stuff like that. <laughs> But this isn't boring stuff. It it, it 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 plays into the characters and getting you to know the characters and seeing how they play off each other. So it's all really interesting stuff. And I think Dr. Cross Concrete is just another very solid entry in his filmography. I kind of want to see it again, actually, even though it's almost three hours long. For three hours? It's 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 like two hours, 39 minutes. I mean, how much diving into the underground crime syndicate do you need to go for three hours? Well, he doesn't That's... really dive into that so much. I mean, I mean, his movies are very pulpy. Yeah, and Dragged Across Concrete is probably the least "quote unquote" pulpy of his movies. It's it's more of just his take on a gritty buddy cop movie. Okay, and and the villains are you know you know you know one of the one of the bank robbers is just this this insane guy just covered from head to toe in tactical gear who goes out of his way to go into in situations where he just wants to murder people with machine guns, basically. Wow. And so he has these these kind of crazy over the top characters in this movie and I enjoyed it. Nice. Okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's kind of interesting. Like when I saw who was in it, Vince Vaughn and Mel Gibson, it kind of reminds me a little bit of just going back to Hacksaw Ridge and like Mel Gibson and Vince Vaughn seem to appear a lot together in films. Well, yeah. Uh, Mel Gibson got the job to be in Dragged Across Concrete because Vince Vaughn had worked with S. Craig Zoller on Brawl and Cell Block 99. Mm -hmm. And when the director brought him back for Dragged Across Concrete, Vince Vaughn said, hey, I can get uh, Mel Gibson in on this too, because I know him from Hacksaw Ridge. Mm -hmm. Anyway, that's what I've I've watched recently. Uh, Nathan, what, you, what do you got for us? 
Okay, so uh, this past weekend I j- went to WonderCon um, up in Anaheim, and you know, spent a lot nice. of time just you know checking out the panels, checking out the show floor. And on Sunday, I got the chance to see with my friends one of the new animated DC movies is going to be coming out. So we got a sneak peek of watching this new premiere of oh, cool. Batman versus the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. <laughs> now, is this an animated thing? It Are... is an animated thing, and it's Are... actually based off of a graphic novel as well. So I thought when they pitched this move, it's like, is this really just out of someone's like, you know, crossover fantasy? I'm like, no, this actually <laughs> exists in the comic book world. And right. I was thoroughly entertained for it being an animated film, kind of like done in the style of like, you know, the DC Batman animated series. This kind of pulls some interesting punches. I mean, the guys who wrote this and teamed up with this, this was just very entertaining from beginning to end. I, I thought it was very well done and just surprisingly, there's some grisly stuff that happens in this for being an animated film. Like there was kids in the audience and a guy gets beheaded and skewered on screen. Nice. And I was like, okay, that happened. Yeah, so we got a PG thirteen rating, it looks like. I just I was curious because some some of the some of the animated DC movies have gotten an R rating. And knowing that Ninja Turtles, I think historically in the comics have been pretty R rated. I was wondering like, did they actually go with R rated Ninja Turtles this time? But it sounds like not quite all the way there, but close. Surprisingly, actually, I saw less of the turtles causing some damage with their blades and more actually just using their fists a lot more. Like the ones that actually did a lot more of the beheading was like, you know, Ra's al Ghul's League of Shadows team. And I, I don't know. It's just like, just kind of jarring when you're watching it. And then suddenly a cop gets his head taken off and you see his body just limp over and you're like, okay, yeah. That's um, awesome. I need awesome. to check this out now. The next thing I saw this past weekend was Shazam. So I am excited for this. I hope to see it in the next week. Yeah. Um, I won't spoil anything for you, Joe, just because it's it definitely lives up to what it promises in the trailer, which let's face it, if anyone's not familiar with Shazam, it's really taking this idea of like, what if a 15-year-old boy was given Superman powers and became a you know macho, unstoppable force that could do all these things? How would a 15-year-old kid respond to that? And the movie lives up to that. It actually felt like an 80s kid adventure film, like you would see the in the Goonies or Monster Squad or Explorers. It's just taking those kinds of premises and just seeing how a kid would react to it. And so the stakes are very you know, pertaining to a kid. But I just think Zach Levi, the guy who plays Shazam, just eats up the screen. And he has the right level of humor, right level of banter with the kids in there just to make it very enjoyable. Like it doesn't get too dark, especially with the villain and what he's trying to do. And I thought it was good and thoroughly entertaining. And they pull a great joke at the very end, Joe. So you need to watch that just because the internet's blowing up about it right now. I'm, I'm very excited for this movie, partially because it just looks really fun. Mm-hmm. But also the director of this movie uh, also also directed Annabelle Creation, which is one of my favorite uh, The Conjuring Universe mm-hmm. movies outside of First Conjuring. Uh, and he had brought sort of a, a fun sense of spook house entertainment to that movie. Mm-hmm. So, so I was expecting him to, to bring a similar sense of fun to the superhero genre, especially an injection of energy into the DC cinematic universe. So I am very excited for this movie. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think you'll definitely get a kick out of it. Um, and then the last movie I'll talk about was uh, Jordan Peele's latest film that came out this this past week or past two weeks ago, 
us. Ah, I saw this too. Yes. So you and I can probably talk about this. Um, so I don't know. I've been kind of intrigued in following Jordan Peele ever since he released Get Out about two years ago and just seeing where he's going with his directoral career. Um, just because it's so different just seeing this guy who started off in Mad TV doing these comedy sketches with Michael Keen Key and just seeing like, you know, everyone associates him with comedy. And when he does like you know, these parody sketches with him, you know, obviously they get very stylized and really into the genre that they're shooting. But you watch Get Out and it's kind of like it's terrifying and yet satirical and you don't know how to digest it. This one completely goes all thriller. And I loved it. It. It's basically the story of this family that goes to their beach house and it turns into a home invasion film where they basically get attacked by another family dressed in red jumpsuits and not to give anything away, but there's this interesting commentary going on behind the scenes, which at first I wasn't able to catch at the first time. But then after listening to um, a couple of podcasts, a lot of people's commentary on it, I see now what Jordan Peele is kind of doing and it just makes me more excited of him as a filmmaker because I want to see what he's going to do now with uh, the new Twilight series because this really felt like he was the right person to kind of come on board for the new Twilight Zone series. So I I agree with a lot of what you said, but I'm not as high on us as a lot of people are. And I'm finding there's kind of a divide between people who absolutely loved it and people who, like me, who generally loved it a lot mm-hmm. but have a lot of issues with it too Be- uh, yeah I'm, I'm not to say like i didn't have issues with it when i oh, first saw yeah. it oh yeah yeah be, 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 because because there are scenes that are some of my favorite modern day pieces of horror filmmaking that i've seen in quite a while that opening is flat out one of my favorite scenes from the past few years mm-hmm. and the way it cuts into the opening credits and i love those opening credits and the way he uses soundtrack and mood and atmosphere and doesn't rely on jump scares the home invasion scenes are fantastic. This is some of the best horror filmmaking we've seen in a while. And we've seen a lot of great horror filmmaking in recent years. But for me, it all kind of starts to fall apart when he starts explaining things. And the more that you find out about what's going on, the more questions I had. And I think this movie could have benefited from him holding back more and not explaining as much and just kind of leaving it more vague. Because the more he explained, the more the logic of the world starts to fall apart. And you think, wait, well, how does that make any sense if this and this and this? Mm-hmm. And that stuff was running through my head during some of the better scenes towards the end. Uh, oh, okay. For instance, there's a dancing towards the end, yeah. which is phenomenal. And mm-hmm. I would have loved it if I hadn't been sitting there trying to piece together, this doesn't make any sense. Wait, but how can... And I wasn't enjoying the scene, so maybe on a rewatch, I'll, I'll enjoy it more. But in the moment, it was very distracting to me. And I think he should have held back on the exposition more. It would have helped the movie out quite a bit. Yeah, and I think maybe a, a part of that was because maybe he didn't trust the audience was kind of getting it too much. And I kind of agree with you, Joe. I kind of feel like the movie would have benefited if he had not spent so much time at the very end explaining and really kind of showing the connections of those worlds. Because you're right, it was bringing up more questions than it was answering anything. And I, I don't know. I think the one thing I loved about it is how there is still this level of mystery, that there's nothing that's really fully explained of what's going on, even like for what the tethered, as the other person kind of explains in what this is all about. Even though that still didn't really make any sense of why something like that existed, I think it just created a very 
um, supernatural, even just like bizarre world that I kind of just feel is very fitting for like a Twilight Zone or even just like a Black Mirror episode. And, oh yeah, and, and I and I agree that 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 this this makes me really excited to see his version of Twilight Zone, which actually premieres tonight. I, right after we finish this, I'm going to go watch the first two episodes. Oh, okay, awesome. <laughs> yes, I'm. I don't know. Watching this made me reinstilled my faith in Jordan Peele, like. I think he has, he's probably like the best pick right now to kind of like help market as well as like head some of the series. And actually I, at WonderCon, I was actually able to check out the panel of the writers and the executive producers who helped on that film. And what's really cool about this, Joe, kind of just the foreshadow, I know I don't want to go and spend too much time talking about the Twilight Zone is they're not trying to copy what they did in the original series but they are going to place Easter eggs throughout it and really kind of give a sense that it, it, it all kind of belongs in the same universe, but they're not going to bring back old stories that they've done. They're going to try to do their own takes and their own news stories with new actors and even like famous actors, but they're really not trying to repeat the same formula. And I don't know, something about that kind of makes me excited and curious. So we'll have to see. Yeah, I am very excited as well. So uh, you got anything else for us, Nate? Oh, no, that's it. All righty. Alex, tell us about Overwatch. Overwatch. <laughs> Overwatch, Overwatch again. Uh, I don't remember if I talked about it last time, but the finals happened. Uh, so that was really great to watch. But um, other than that, I mean, now we're just kind of in, in between stages right now. So Did it turn out in your favor? No. My team no. didn't, didn't make it. The Dallas Fuel choked at the last possible set second and they didn't even get to playoffs so how much money a, how much money did you lose i didn't, I didn't bet on it so is that why you're living anything. living out of a bathtub right now true yeah that, that's why <laughs> I, I like i like how you don't deny living out of a bathtub you're like no that's 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 the reason why there's no other reason i use my tears to bathe <laughs> So right now, yeah, we're just in stage in between stages, so uh, just kind of waiting on seeing if, seeing if there's any um, roster changes right now. Kind of avoiding anything today because, well, anything any roster changes that are announced today are going to be obviously fake. Mm -hmm. um, but nothing going on for Overwatch right now. Not a whole lot going on with Destiny, as far as content wise, because that's all the stuff that's happening in this DLC has already been dropped. And so there's not a whole lot going on in Destiny. There's not a whole lot going on in Apex. So they did release the Battle Pass, mm -hmm. and which was Battle Pass was kind of not good. It was like all the rewards and stuff like that that you get from it is kind of boring. But uh, yeah, you know, that's fine. Division though has come out, and that's been a lot of fun to play. Division two, I've been really enjoying that one. You know what you could do while all these these video games are kind of in between stages. What's that? Watch Death Sentence. No. By James Wan. No, I'm never gonna watch Death Sentence. For so that just just so that we can get it out in the open so everyone can know. Yeah. Uh, before we were doing this podcast, Nick and Alex and I were do doing this thing where every so often one of us would choose a movie and we'd all have to watch it. That's kind of what mm -hmm. Pick a Flick has turned into. Uh, Pick yeah. a Flick has has become in, in the podcast. But before that, we were just kind of doing this on our own, and yeah, fun. Uh, I think it was Nick picked. Uh, Death Sentence, the James Wan movie for us all to oh, watch. Hold and on. Nick and I watched was, it, and Alex didn't watch hold it. Hold on, there was there was the week there was the I think the week or month before where it was one of you one of us picked it, picked the movie like Joe or I picked it. Yeah, uh, right at the door. And then Nick didn't watch it, 
until like a month later and then he picked it and then like I didn't watch it and so he's now he's now he's all on my case that I never watched Death Sentence. But he did but like, he did get around to watching right at your door. Oh he got and you, like a month you later. Haven't watched Death Sentence. I, I, I refuse to out of principle now. I'm not watching Death Sentence. Oh, it's a much better movie than Right at Your Door, I'm just saying. Hopefully, your door is not very good. <laughs> right now, I'm just eating popcorn and or listening to you guys as you guys bash me about this. This is entertaining. Every every week, I'll come back and ask, "Have you watched Dead Sentence yet, Alex?" And the answer is going to be no. I'll tell you right off the bat, no. Next it's... next film literates <laughs> when you come up. Oh, we're going to review that's it. Going to be the next no. <laughs> <laughs> we will definitely do that. I feel like that should actually be our next pick of flick, Joe. The, the, the <laughs> oh my god, I could totally, oh I could totally so... pick it. Uh-huh. Oh gosh, I'm, Do it. I'm busy that Do it. day that we're sh- that we're recording <laughs> the podcast. I'm sorry. I'm oh my god, this is great. All right, let's move on. Let's move on to Edgar Wright. All right, okay. that's, that's what people came to hear. Yeah. Okay, John, it's time at the bar. Let's talk about it. So, uh, hot take, Edgar Wright. Good director. Hot take. Yeah, All right. It's okay. That's my, that's my hot take of the day. Wow. That's your hot take? All right. Famous filmmaker. Everyone, I feel like, knows him today. He got his start, or really got noticed, uh, from doing the TV show Spaced. Mm-hmm. Uh, and from then on, he did the cult classic Shaun of the Dead, Hot Fuzz, Scott Pilgrim vs. the World, The World's End, and most recently, he did Baby Driver. And so he's kind of made a name for himself doing these uh, high-energy, kinetic action comedies. And we're going to go through his filmography in what time we have <laughs> remaining and just kind of go over the evolution of Edgar Wright, how he's changed the filmmaker between Shaun of the Dead and Baby Driver, and what makes an Edgar Wright movie. So uh, we're going we're gonna to get started off here just with his first movie, Shaun of the Dead. Nate, what's your, what's your history with Shaun of the Dead? When was the first time you saw it? Actually, I'm going to be honest. The first time I actually remember hearing about Shaun of the Dead was uh, kind of from Peter Jackson. I think at the time when uh, Shaun of the Dead was being like distributed and like advertised, it was right during like the peak of the Lord of the Rings trilogy. And everybody across the world was familiar with Peter Jackson and what he meant into just pop culture and nerd culture as well. And hearing him kind of like advertising Shaun of the Dead, this like low budget British comedy zombie horror parody and just like saying it's one of the best films he's ever seen it just kind of piqued my interest and i even remember joe i think it was mostly in college actually that a lot of us kind of got introduced to his stuff i remember you were just always talking about edgar Wright, like you know hot fuzz and shawn of the dead and like oh you guys gotta watch these movies and you know just we'd sit in the dorm and watch it for hours and busting in a gut like every so often because yeah, which is funny because because I, the first time I watched any of his movies was also in college. Mm-hmm. I feel like it's it's a perfect college movie to kind of get guys yeah. and even just anyone interested, and and even just in the past twenty years that Edgar Wright's kind of made a name for himself, he's really kind of encapsulated that nerd culture that I think everybody is kind of like riding the wave now just because his movies are filled with it so much. Like you look at Shaun of the Dead, there's like maybe almost like 30 other movie references in there in one way or another from the dialogue to the costume design to mimicking shots. It's, it's definitely, a, 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 if you are kind of like in the early stages becoming a cinephile or even us when we became film illiterates, it's, it's definitely a go-to movie. I think he just captured that and he just tapped into that so well. Alex? 
Um, I think I think I'd watched Shaun of the Dead prior to going to college, and but then I think I liked it at the time. I think I I got into like zombie movies and stuff like that prior, and then I went to college and I watched Hot Fuzz and like Hot Fuzz just blew me away. <laughs> I that's I think that's like that or Scott Pilgrim's like my favorite of his movies. It's just so so damn good. I ever yeah kind of ever since then I've really enjoyed his yeah just everything he's done. Yeah, so so since he made Shaun of the Dead, three of his movies has been divided into what's been known as the Three Flavors Cornetto Trilogy. That's mm-hmm. Shaun of the Dead, Hot Fuzz, and The World's End. It's called the Three Flavors Cornetto Trilogy because they, they feature a different flavor of Cornetto ice cream in each movie. So it's red ice cream for Shaun of the Dead, blue for Hot Fuzz, and green for The World's End. So I think for the sake of this discussion, we're going to divide the conversation around Edgar Wright into three categories. His Three Flavors Cornetto Trilogy, Scott Pilgrim vs. the World, then Baby Driver. So I think we can talk about, because the Three Flavors Cornetto Trilogy, they're very similar stylistically, and there is kind of a change in an evolution there. But I think for the sake of the conversation, we can kind of lump them together as one extended piece. So here's the thing. For me, at least, these movies, the Three Flavors Cornetto Trilogy movies, kind of exemplify the ideal of what, I think of when I think of an Edgar Wright movie, because all three of them are action comedies. Mm-hmm. Uh, Shaun of the Dead is kind of a, a, a horror comedy. World's End is kind of a sci-fi comedy, but they're all action comedies to a degree. Mm-hmm. They all have a similar editing style. They all have similar jokes. They use a lot of the same actors come back, Simon Pegg, Nick Frost, in the lead roles in all three of them. So what is it about these movies that makes them stand out? What makes an Edgar Wright movie? Um, I would have to say, if anything, it's the way he handles the camera to enhance the comedy. I don't want to kind of like do a promotion here about other YouTube channel, Every Frame of Painting, but they did a great take on Edgar Wright on how he uses visual comedy in his films compared to what you'd see in most American comedy movies. Um, and he just decides to really utilize the camera and the editing and the music and just sound effects to enhance that comedy to the next level. It doesn't overshadow the performances of the actors, but it just adds that extra level of fun and really makes him much more entertaining and just shows off his chops of being a guy who's so attentive to every detail that's going on to how that plays into the comedy. And I think that's what, especially in this uh, Three Flavors Cornetto uh, trilogy, you really see early groundwork and foundation of that. Yeah, one of my favorite things about the comedy in his movies is how he uses editing and sound work to enhance the comedy because a lot of this stuff is visual and consistent with the timing Mm -hmm. so for instance in the world's end there there's a gag where there's four guys on a on a on a pub crawl Uh, five guys actually five guys on a pub crawl right Mm -hmm. four of them are having beers and Mm -hmm. one of them is having a water and there's a kind of a glory shot of the bartender pulling back the tap pouring the beer it's this really intense moment and it, it gets more intense with each beer and then all of a sudden, everything, all the sound just kind of cuts out as, mm. as you hear the subdued sound of water being yep. poured. Spear. Mmm. We'll have five of those, please. No, sorry. Can we have four of those and a tap water, please? What? I don't believe this. Yep. And just <laughs> such a funny cut, and the way he does that, it's all about the timing. Mm-hmm. That's how I think a lot of the, the comedy works in his movies, because there are mm-hmm. a ton of of great jokes and, and gags and a lot of wordplay in his movies. 
But whenever I think of an Edgar Wright movie, I think of the editing specifically. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And even like how he takes that time to actually use the editing when not even just like having a gag like that, but, you know, showing like what he can do when like a character is going from one town to the next or going from one place to the next or even just explaining what their plan is and how it actually unfolds. He uses the editing to his advantage and he plays off of our expectations that we already know what he's trying to do with this montage sequence and how he even just breaks that expectation halfway through. It's, it just kind of shows he's very in tuned with what we know and how he plays to that. It was interesting for me uh, this time going through Shaun of the Dead, Hot Fuzz, and World's End in such short mm -hmm. order. Shaun of the Dead, I mean, compared to the rest of his movies, it feels like his first movie mm -hmm. because yeah. it's not quite as polished as, as the other ones. It's, it's mm -hmm. still a fantastic, very well done movie. But then mm -hmm. you compare it to Hot Fuzz, which just goes all out with the style. And, yeah. mm -hmm. and, and it, like, like, like Hot Fuzz is basically Edgar Wright showing off, this is what I can do with sound and with visuals. And it's- When you actually give me a budget. Very in your face. Yeah. yeah. So, so, so Shaun of the Dead is him experimenting, trying to figure out what he can do, what, what is feasible, how far he can take things. Hot Fuzz is him going full throttle. And then The World's End is interesting because it takes everything he learned from Hot Fuzz, reins it in a little bit, and focuses a lot more on the characters and the emotions mm -hmm. and how this all thematically- fits together without sacrificing any of the style. So it's almost like World's End is the more matured version. Shot of the Dead is taking baby steps and Hot Fuzz is the rebellious teenager showing just going all out. And in a weird way with the trilogy, you kind of actually show how he's laying the groundwork of his style. But then with The World's End, what I kind of like about it, even though it's like the lesser of the films in his trilogy, what I like about it is how he subverts those expectations or reverses your expectations. Like, you know, in the other two, Simon Pegg plays the straight guy. Nick Frost plays the bumbling fool in World's End that role is reversed and you get to see how he plays off of that. And what we know is the audience from his previous two films and it's pep. And there's lots of that kind of stuff peppered throughout of the world's end. And I think it's kind of showing a full circle of what is kind of unfolding. And I kind of like that. Yeah. Just like as Ross's characters mature over the course of the trilogy, the movies themselves, it just in terms of execution kind of mature as well. Have you ever seen point break? No. Amazing bit in Point Break where they jump over fences. Is that not? 29. That is Swayze's just robbed this bank. Keanu Reeves is chasing him through people's gardens. And he goes to shoot Swayze, but he can't because he loves him so much. And he's firing his gun up in the air. He's like, oh. Have you ever fired your gun up in the air and gone, ah? No, I have not ever fired my gun up in the air and gone, ah. 30. Sorry, I'm, I just... I just feel like I'm missing out sometimes. I want to do what you do. You do do what I do. Why on earth do you think you're missing out on? Gunfights, car chases, proper action and shit. Police work is not about proper action. Or shit. 29. If you'd have paid attention to me in school, you'd understand that it's not all about gunfights and car chases. Uh, so do these movies connect uh, in any way? We know that they're all separate movies taking place in their own separate worlds. But why are these three movies considered a trilogy? Um, same cast. Same cast, <laughs> I would say so. Um, same kind of style of comedy and how he builds off of those cliches and tropes and subverts and even just reverts those expectations. But actually, one thing that I think dawned upon me watching Hot Fuzz again for the second time, and I guess I didn't see this for the first time, is how he's actually satirizing British culture or the community in a way. You look at all three films, he's in a subtle way kind of making fun of the UK culture 
and where it is in this present day. With uh, Shaun of the Dead, he is really trying to show like the mundane routine that most, you know, suburban like uh, British folk are kind of subjected to for like, you know, their part-time jobs, minimum wage things, and lifestyles that they have to go through. Hot Fuzz, it kind of satirizes garden communities in the UK, um, especially at the very end when it's revealed why the villains have been doing this the whole time. There's no big scheme in, involved or anything. It's just one little simple thing. And I just love how he kind of just plays to that. And even like the, the world's end, it's showing, you know, not only how, you know, your friends will mature over age, but just showing how British culture is also changing things, you know, that once were like a golden era are kind of like having to be modernized and adapted for this new world that's coming. It's, it's, I think he's saying something about that. And that commentary is kind of interesting. If you watch it, it's there. One of the things that has always fascinated about these movies is how, to me, at least they're to some degree about maturing and growing up, Mm -hmm. especially if you look at the character dynamics between Simon Pegg and Nick Frost in each Mm -hmm. movie and how they change between movies. Yes. Mm -hmm. Because in the first movie, Simon Simon Pegg plays uh, a, a, a man who's trying to grow up, but he's still stuck in this sort of ignorance this 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 childlike frame of mind he's a guy that is trying to grow up but he doesn't know how and he's holding on to the things that are comfortable he just wants to do the same things over and over again and he doesn't want to mature beyond that he doesn't challenge himself he doesn't set goals and that kind of comes from like you know his friend nick frost who you know basically allows that or gives him permission to keep living that way exactly so 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 simon Pegg in that movie is the one who's trying to mature nick frost is just not trying at all and he's holding him back and then you go to hot fuzz where simon Pegg is fully developed as the mature straight man mm-hmm. and nick frost is kind of the the delusional man child who doesn't realize how out of step with being an adult he is and then you go to world's end which is such a drastic change in dynamic so if if, if Shaun of the dead is about simon Pegg trying to mature Hot Fuzz is about him being fully mature, then The World's End is about him reverting to being a completely rebellious man-child who doesn't want to move beyond being a man-child. He enjoys being a rebellious man-child, and he surrounds himself with people who have moved on and who have grown up and taken a, a, a more adult view of life. It's fascinating just kind of looking at these character types play out. Oh my gosh, Joe, you kind of just painted a picture of just the nerd culture living today. It kind <laughs> of is, actually. Everyone who grew up from it. the 80s and 90s and where they're at today, I think that is kind of what Edgar Wright is trying to paint with the uh, the Three Flavors Cornetto trilogy. No, I, I, I have no doubt that he's in some way commenting on that. I don't know if he necessarily knows he is oh i think it's, it's certainly there i think he is i mean kind of the way you just uh portrayed like how all three of those films are connected that's basically mm-hmm. what it is it's kind of like you know all of the, the you know the guys who grew up in the 90s with nintendo and you know pcs and just that you know comic book lore they had to grow up they had to mature but then they get to that point where they want to relive those glory days those wonderful naivety days of innocence of fun of being with your friends and there's a conflict of wills right there I don't know. I think that's another thing that makes Edgar Wright's uh, comedy stand out from most other comedies is that he is really trying to say something and really showing some good character development in the process. Yeah, it, it, it's, it's, it's especially interesting because Simon Pegg's character in Shaun of the Dead and World's End are kind of two different extremes of the same character type. Mm-hmm. In Shaun of the Dead, he's clinging to the past 
but he wants to move on. Mm-hmm. And in World's End, he's clinging to the past and is regressing. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I don't know. The whole thing is that that whole area, as far as it pertains to these movies, have, have always fascinated me. And they get more fascinating the more I think about them. Okay, let's start with Launchpad McQuack. Uh, that's not the actual title of this. <laughs> Anyway, let's move on to uh, Scott Pilgrim vs. the World, which is the one that he made. I believe it was in between Hot Fuzz and The World's End, actually. Yeah, and actually one thing I actually found out is um, he was actually given this project right after the success of Shaun of the Dead. Like, the producers or the person who had the um, copyright handed it to him saying, I want you to make this. And he spent almost like six, seven years developing it. And it kind of shows he's one of those guys that takes comedy or just any project that comes in his lap very seriously. Like he'll develop it and make sure he has all the details down and he knows exactly what he's doing. So Alex, you you told me that Scott Pilgrim vs. the World is your favorite Edgar Wright movie. Is that right? Yeah, that that night hot is exactly. Yeah. So what is it about Scott Pilgrim that you love so much? Well, I like that kind of going back to what you guys are talking about and that like the timing and the editing is a big thing with uh, with Edgar Wright's movies. And Scott Pilgrim has that in spades. But what I also really love about it is it takes the visuals and just bumps them up a whole couple notches. Mm-hmm. Scott Pilgrim is, I'd say, one of the most visually interesting and entertaining movies I've seen. Just because almost like every scene, every shot, there's something interesting to see. There's something interesting to look at. It's... It's like almost, it's pretty much always eye catching, mm-hmm. and so I. It's just Scott Pilgrim is like one of the most entertaining films I've seen. I think that's kind of like why it's the story is fantastic as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but one thing I also really like about Edgar's movies in that, and this really kind of shows in Scott Pilgrim is his use of music, mm-hmm. and with you know Scott Pilgrim being in a band and it's Battle of the Bands. I love the just the role that plays in it and how he also illustrates and visualizes um, a lot of these like battles mm-hmm. um, that take place between bands or Scott Pilgrim and himself like that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would, I would, I would agree that, that this is probably his most visually stimulating movie mm-hmm. uh, almost to an experimental degree. I, 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 watch, watching it this time. I, I, I just kind of thought it to myself, this is very experimental. Edgar Wright. He's trying to do things with the, uh, the frame mm-hmm. that I've never seen anyone else do before i mean he does the thing where where, where he changes the aspect ratios depending on the theme but the aspect ratio will move like within the frame depending on where where the focus is and he'll break it up into into chunks here and there and he throws the captions in and then i i feel like he's just having fun seeing what he can do with the shape of the screen and and also in a way kind of this is like a first time i've ever seen like him use motion graphic text across the screen to the full advantage that it can be done. Like he really brings this whole comic book world that Scott Pilgrim exists in and uses it within the actual setting. Like most people who are adapting comic books would obscure, not even think about putting in like the text when, you know, the old Batman series, when there's like a wham or cabal, like Edgar Wright decides to use that to advantage to not only just have the text on screen, but to play with it. Like when he gets knocked out, um, having glass shatter behind him or, you know, having like a the doorbell ring, you see that play across the screen and it just creates an extra layer of movement to the comedy going on. And mm-hmm. 
it's just something I think was a huge challenge. It would have been a huge risk and somehow he executed it very well. And I think it just also adds to that fantastical world that Scott Pilgrim exists in. Like, cause if you tried to set this in an actual reality, it would not fly. Yeah. It, it just, it just wouldn't be the same at all. No. It wouldn't carry the same sort of entertainment value mm-hmm. and, and kind of emotion that, that the movie does. Yeah. And I think him deciding to take that extra level of adding the eight bit sound effects, or even just that text on the cross screen, he really is able to set up the stage for the audience to expect what you're going to see is not going to be based in any kind of reality. Like what you're going to see is complete fantasy and fun. So enjoy the ride. Cause there comes that point where Scott Pilgrim has to fight and suddenly everything switches over to uh, there's something that would only exist in something like Jojo's Bizarre Adventure. <laughs> yeah. And that's a I, good point. Th- and I think that's just him setting that those little Easter eggs, those little like stepping stones throughout it is what helped me at least when watching it, just be on board with this and not kind of like, what the heck am I watching? They're, they're mm-hmm. doing ninja fights with swords coming out of nowhere, bursting into coins when they die. What the heck am I watching? It's like you buy into it from early on. So what can I get you? Is there anywhere you don't work? They're called jobs, something a ball like you would know anything about. And by the way, I can't believe you asked Ramona out after I specifically told you not to do that. How are you doing that with your mouth? Never mind how I'm doing it. What do you have to say for yourself? Can I get a caramel macchiato? Yeah, yeah, it sets it sets you up in just like kind of the normal scenes of what to expect when it, when you really get going into something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just realized I actually have seen this comic booky vi- visually dynamic style filmmaking once since this movie came out. And that's in Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Yes, and that's another movie that just used it very well and it being an animated film they played around with that so yeah, well. Yeah, because 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 Spider Verse does this, the same thing where they put you know the text on screen and they, mm-hmm. they they break the frame up into comic book panels and all that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. But that one's an animated movie, and Scott Pilgrim. I, I I was I was thinking about the the level of difficulty shooting a movie like Scott Pilgrim because oh. you would have to have everything planned out in advance. There there, there was one shot where uh, Scott's roommate opens the door and Scott jumps through the window. I love that scene. But the way that the camera moves, like everything has to be planned out, just mm. perfect down to the second mm-hmm. ahead of time uh, as, as, as far as moving with Scott jumping through the window and the way it cuts back to knives and mm-hmm. the amount of effort into doing this and hoping it pays off. Mm-hmm. It's just crazy, and I love it. Although I will actually have to say, this was probably could be considered Edgar Wright's, you know, introducing his style to American audiences. Like before, he was obviously making films set in the UK, and so it was humor that definitely British people would kind of get. But this was like his first attempt of doing something set in a North American setting, and really just trying to satirize and play to the humor of that. And I don't know, did you guys think in his first attempt this was a success? I mean. Talking about how much I love the movie, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. there we go. <laughs> I, I, I think I think it's definitely playing to the uh, uh, the audience of the of the of the times when when it came out because uh, didn't didn't Scott Pilgrim come out in the the, the late two thousands? Yeah, around uh, two thousand ten yeah. actually is when it came yeah, out. Twenty ten. So again, nostalgia is really big for the for the nineties crowd, and this this movie is playing directly to the nineties kid audience mm-hmm. with the yeah. the the eight bit and the the video game references and all that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think he plays into the American sensibilities of that culture very well. And, and even even kind of the, the man-child characters from Shaun of the Dead and The World's End. Mm-hmm. Scott has a little bit of that in him himself. And the movie's all about him maturing as well, which I think is something that would resonate a lot with the target audience of that movie. So yeah, yeah, I agree. 
Uh, anyway, should we move on to his last movie, Baby Driver? Yeah. your sure. This was your favorite film of 2017, wasn't it, Joe? It was. I absolutely love Baby Driver. It's it's actually not my favorite Edgar Wright movie, but it's my favorite movie that came out uh, the year it was released. You know, it's kind of funny. When I went and saw this movie, I think when they were like advertising it, they were trying to say, like, from Edgar Wright, the guy who brought you Scott Pilgrim and the Three Flavors trilogy. And the funny thing is, it's not really a comedy. No, no, it isn't. This is this this is a full on action movie. It's a very fun action movie, and there's comedy yeah. in it, but it's not an a comedy. <laughs> but but here's the yeah. thing: is going back to Edgar Wright and just how smart of a filmmaker he is. This is probably one of the best action car chase movies that exists out there. Oh yeah, absolutely. Everything mm -hmm. as far from like what we've been talking about so far about what Edgar Wright's good at: the sound design, the editing, the use of music, the use of color, mm -hmm. is executed to a T very well. And this actually goes back to that. This was a project he spent 22 years developing. Jeez. And it shows, I think. This movie was also interesting because it's the first movie where we really had no idea what to expect from Edgar Wright. Because we had the three flavors Cornetto trilogy. And even when it came to the world's end, yes, that was an original project by him, not based on anything else. But we knew kind of what to expect because it's going to fit in with the same aesthetic as Shaun of the Dead and Hot Fuzz. Yeah. Scott Pilgrim versus the world. That's an adaptation of someone else's work that he took and made his own. Yeah. This is the first thing we've seen since those where he's just forging out and making completely new stuff that we have no idea. So, so, so between this movie, baby driver and his next movie, which is going to be a, a horror movie uh, inspired by don't look now and repulsion. I think we're starting to see Edgar Wright settle into his groove of what kind of filmmaker is he going to be moving mm -hmm. forward now that he's made his mark. Yeah, and, and so far, like we kind of think about it, Edgar Wright doesn't have too much uh, to his filmography as of right now. Like the movies that we just kind of listed have been like the big, you know, hallmark films that everyone identifies him with. We haven't had a chance to really get a cemented, you know, style or even just a look of like what makes an Edgar Wright film. And I think this is kind of like, you're right, Joe. I think this was the first time we actually got to see all of it toned down and actually we got to see the core of this is what Edgar Wright is all about. And his style from those previous movies, uh, you can absolutely draw the line between, mm -hmm. you know, Hot Fuzz and Baby Driver as far as the way he, he cuts everything together, the way he coordinates his shots and does everything to the music. Because yeah. Baby, Baby Driver is his most tightly calculated movie. Like every single step has to match up with every cut with every musical beat and he had to have planned every single little movement out in, way in advance mm -hmm. for this movie and so i think this, this this is him kind of working as a craftsman honing down where everything needs to be down to the second so you just starting your day or did you just get off oh, i don't know if i ever get off they call i go you know so what is it you do i'm a driver Oh, like a, like a chauffeur? You drive around important people? I guess I do. Anyone I'd know? I hope not. Well, aren't you mysterious? Maybe. You know, Joe, I think I was talking to you early before we started recording this podcast um, about, you know, all of his films, if you think about it, he's trying to say something in all of his films, whether it's a comedy or just a comic book adaptation. With Baby Driver, do you think he's saying something personal about, you know, 
his take of just what the American dream is all about, because I guess watching it this time, I was seeing that I was kind of like, because it wasn't really catering to any comedy and you can actually see him, you know, paying homage to famous car chase scenes and car chase films and just the whole style, even just the romance between Deborah and baby. It just feels like this is his homage to the American dream. And do you think he's trying to say something about that? I'm not sure about, for, for, for me at least, I'm not sure about the American dream specifically, but this is a very much an American movie. Yes. He, mm-hmm. Because he, he has talked about before how, how he wanted to set this in, in, a, in an American town, you know, with all these kind of take, taking what he had seen in American action movies in mm-hmm. the past and pulling them into here. So there's a lot of action beats that you'll find from previous movies. There's character types you'll find from previous movies kind of all pulled into this big gung-ho American car chase movie. Uh, I'm not sure about the American dream specifically because I feel like everyone who chases after the American dream in this movie doesn't end up very well in the end. No. But I think there's something he's saying about that as well. You know, there's this uh, ideal fantasy that baby wants to achieve with Deborah. you know, the reality of what he's kind of trapped in. And at the very end, the decision he makes to actually own up for what has happened, I think says something about what I think Wright is trying to tell all of us about moving forward with the American dream that we kind of have to sometimes pay our dues and spend our time in order to see the golden light at the end of the bridge. I don't know. I can definitely see that. And again, that, that ties into the character type that he seems to like to play around with is maturing and uh, coming to terms with who you have to become. Right. Which again plays into this movie. <laughs> yeah. So he seems to really like this uh, theme of maturity. And I don't know. You're right. It, it's he's portraying that very well. I think in Baby Driver, even though it's not necessarily you know playing a lot to the visual comedy that so many people are used to. There's a lot going on there that I think stands out. The movie's still very funny too. Even even while while oh, yeah. not being a comedy, even when there aren't jokes being played, mm-hmm. just watching this movie is fun. There's a scene early on where he's walking to get a cup of coffee. Mm-hmm. And the way everything cuts together with the music, and he has the lyrics spray painted on the the the, uh, the buildings as he walks by, the the dialogue and the doors open to the music. It's just toe tapping fun to watch. Oh yeah, yeah. I think, but I think it's 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 much more subtle in this movie. Like Edgar Wright is not really trying to shove in your face. Like get the reference, get the gag. It's really woven into the scene a little bit more intricately, and it's like you have to be a real I wouldn't say real nerd, but a real connoisseur of music and film and just American pop culture to really see all that and. I don't know. I, I kind of think it, it's really him just like toning it down. Like originally all of his films were at 11 and this is at like a, a nine and it's still really good. I think, I think looking over his filmography, you can see a similar trajectory that we see with a lot of famous filmmakers where his early movies are just going all out. Mm-hmm. And as he gets further into his career, he kind of reins it back a bit and uses his best tricks where they fit best mm-hmm. as opposed yeah. to, again as as you said working at 11 all the time because we we saw this again with uh sam raimi mm-hmm. with his early evil dead movies and his his earlier output is just everything's going crazy all the way over the top and then in his 90s he reined things back and tried to make some more serious more grounded movies mm-hmm. and he eventually hit a medium spot later on in uh where he kind of is now where he he, he still uses those tricks he used mm-hmm. but he doesn't always go all out uh, for instance, you know, in Spider-Man yeah. 2, very, very much restrained compared to Evil Dead 2. But then you have the hospital scene, which uses all the same tricks from his Evil Dead movies in that mm-hmm. one scene. Mm-hmm. And he still has that sense of fun and, and comedy. And Peter Jackson's the same way. Look at his early horror comedies like Dead Alive and uh, Bad Taste. 
and meet the feebles. And then all of a sudden he's making Lord of the Rings where he's having to restrain <laughs> some of that, but he's still yeah. using some of that stuff he learned in some of the big action scenes and the horror and the comedy. And I think Edgar Wright's doing a similar sort of thing where he started off going all out as a young filmmaker. And now he's learning how to best implement most outgoing parts of his style into a more restrained movie. You, you hint at something very interesting, how a lot of filmmakers, when they're first starting out, they're screaming the loudest with their style because it's really them trying to stand out amongst like all the other competition that exists out there. It kind can, of have to at that stage, too. Oh, you do, yeah. And I think right now with Edgar Wright and even like some of the other names you've mentioned, Tarantino, Peter Jackson, once they've found their audience, once they've found like people who really get what their films are about, they can tone it down and really actually give them some good meat to actually chew on so that it's not always like, you know, Shaun of the Dead or Hot Fuzz. You can have something like Baby Driver or even just this horror film that we're going to get from him very soon. It's a chance for him to really kind of share with his fan base and just a lot of just audiences who really understand what his style is about and showing, let's, let me show you something different. I have some other tricks up my sleeve. And I think that sometimes makes a filmmaker much more interesting to watch because if they're pretty much the same thing over and over again, like Michael Bay, you just you get the same thing every single time you watch a film. But with Edgar Wright, I think you're getting to a point now you don't know what to expect from him. It, it makes me more invested to watch what he has. And it's why, it's why I'm so excited for his next movie, uh, his horror movie, Last Night in Soho, because the inspirations that he cited with Don't Look Now and Repulsion are so far removed from what we've come to expect from an yeah. Edgar Wright movie that I am fascinated to see with what he comes up with and how he uses the uh -huh. tricks of, of his trade that he's learned over the course of these years into making what apparently is going to be a, a, a quieter, more subdued horror movie. Uh, Alex, do you have anything else you want to say about uh, Edgar Wright in general? Anything you want to touch on in any of his any of his movies? What are you yeah. what are you, what are your thoughts on Baby Driver? Because because we're talking okay. about how much we talked about how much you love Scott Pilgrim because it goes so over the top. Uh, yeah. So what do you think about Baby Driver now, when it's a little, a little bit more restrained? I wasn't as big a fan of Baby Driver as I was of his other movies. I think Baby Driver and then World's End were kind of my least favorite of his. Mind you, I, I still enjoyed them. Baby Driver, I saw in the theaters. It was still good. I, I, it was a fun movie to watch. But I think I, I, I didn't like the movie less so because of kind of his style and stuff like that. The story itself didn't really hook me. The, and I kind of wish it felt a little bit overlong and without a whole lot of character development from the other characters besides Baby. Um, so I wasn't as big of a fan of, of it as, as much as the other stuff. It still does have his style and his unique kind of approach to filmmaking, to setting up scenes and whatnot. It didn't do it for me as well as Hot Fuzz, as well as Scott Pilgrim. Yeah, which which is interesting because because th those ones really are the ones where he he is going on full Edgar yeah. Wright mode and really experimenting with his style and going over the top, which I think is yeah. is interesting because I love all of those movies, but I, I I've always been not quite sure what I've thought of the story and what it's trying to say. And I'm not quite sure about the characters, but it's 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 so entertaining that I almost don't care. Yeah. Whereas with with Baby Driver, because he's a little bit more held back and focusing on the rhythm of the movie, you're almost forced to focus on the characters in the story more, which may or may not hold up depending on your 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 thoughts on it. And if the story doesn't hold up for you, then the style might not necessarily win you back. Yeah, and I guess when I watch uh, when I when I go to watch an Edgar Wright movie, I'm kind of I'm wanting that. Yeah. And so because Baby Driver didn't fully deliver on, or at least up to the level of what I had at least wanted or what I've maybe come to expect with, with his movies, 
it it fell kind of short of of uh, of expectations for me. Yeah, and actually one thing I'll, I'll actually say, when this movie came out, it had mixed reception from critics as well. I remember actually looking up is that a lot of uh, critics actually were not too fond of the character development in the movie Baby Driver, especially like with the Deborah and Darling character. They felt like those female characters were underdeveloped and didn't really add a lot to just the rest of the cast, which... I don't know. I kind of disagree. I think they actually play something very crucial into the whole story and the whole character arc that we're experiencing. Um, and so I don't know. I think you're, you're right, Alex. Like, you know, when you kind of go into an Edgar Wright film, you have those expectations. And Baby Driver kind of subverts those expectations. But I think then what it allows you to do is you have to focus in on, you know, different themes that Edgar Wright is trying to bring to the screen. Like, you know, we're mentioning sound design, we're mentioning music, and just how all that is woven into really telling the story, which, you know, in most like chase scenes or even action movies, sound and music is used to kind of be distracting. It's used to kind of like enhance. Whereas with this, he's really showing how that's playing to the story. And it's a trait in a lot of action movies that have kind of gone away. And I think what Edgar Wright is trying to do is bring it back to show that it is possible to have sound and music play essential parts in what kind of story you can tell with it. So I don't know. Yeah, I mean, maybe another viewing is going to kind of change my mind and let me focus on mm-hmm. on other aspects of the film. Mm-hmm. But yeah, my immediate reaction was just one of... Uh, I guess a little disappointment. Not not so much. Not really disappointment, but just it didn't. Yeah, like I said, it didn't. It didn't live up to kind of what I uh, was expecting. Yeah, we'll have to see what Edgar Wright does in his next horror movie, and oh, yeah. if he decides to use a song like "Baby Shark" at some point. Uh, what? No. <laughs> I, I like hate to see, that song. I like to see how he could use that. That'd be interesting, but I doubt <laughs> he, he he he'll never use it. Let's face it. He's much. He's much more mature of a yeah. director than that. <laughs> uh, Baby Driver is Edgar Wright's worst movie. Changed my mind. Oh wow! <laughs> I guess I just uh, I guess I just uh, changed his opinion. Wow. <laughs> anyway, uh, do you guys have anything else? Uh, I, I'll take that I, I, no. No, actually, I I <laughs> so, still mm-mm. I still think to this day what it would have been like if uh, Edgar Wright had actually directed his version of Ant Man and how that would have looked. Oh yeah, I don't think there's any chance that would have happened unless it was a scott pilgrim situation where they would have let him do whatever he wants to because his movies are so 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 tightly wound around his idea and he and he, and he plans them out against the down to the last second ahead of time mm-hmm. whereas uh marvel I, I could understand wanting to have a certain degree of freedom to be able to change things and go back uh later on and mm-hmm. tweak them here and there whereas i would i, I could see him wanting to plan everything from out, out in advance, mm-hmm. do it exactly his way, and then putting it out. Yeah, I was I was disappointed when it, when it happened, but mm-hmm. yeah, I think it was absolutely the right call for him to make mm-hmm. because if it could have worked out, that would have been awesome. But I like that he saw that it wasn't going to work out and they were just going to be fighting each other the whole way. And, yeah. and if ne- was- ne- neither one of them would have been happy with the project in the end and so just bow out early. Okay. Anyway, that will conclude our episode of the Film Illiterates podcast. Uh, let us know what your favorite Edgar Wright movie is down in, I don't know, the comments or shoot us on Twitter. Hit us up on Twitter. Tell us what your favorite Edgar Wright movie is. Yeah. Actually, my favorite is actually his music video he did for Beck, uh, Colors. That was actually cool. <laughs> <laughs> I, I cer- certainly could use more uh, Edgar Wright music videos, that's for sure. I want every music video from here on out to be directed by Edgar Wright. I want to see what he can do. 
Alex, uh, where, where can people find you? Uh, you know, find me on uh, filmletters.com. You can go through our backlog of uh, old film letters episodes. You can find me on, if you want to catch up with what I've listened to music-wise, uh, ratemusic.com under Half Scrim, and then Twitter at Alex D. Patton. Nate? Uh, you guys can follow me on Instagram at Nathan underscore stone underscore films. And uh, here on Film Illiterates, I do these podcasts with Joe and Alex because they're my two best friends in the whole world, and I don't want them to ever feel like I don't care about them. Aw, we love you too, Nate. Aw, thank you. You can find me on Twitter if you search Film Illiterates, uh, Twitter at Film Illiterates, and on Letterboxd, Film underscore Illiterates. I'm also technically on Facebook, but I'm hardly ever there. So. And of course, you can watch all of our videos on uh, filmliterates.com, including previous podcast episodes mm-hmm. and our videos, which we have some of those uh, there as well. I don't think we've, I don't think we've done a Edgar Wright movie on uh, a video on an Edgar Wright movie yet, but we certainly should. That would be that would be great. Maybe we should just marathon spaced and just kind of watch that show because that's one. That would be so down. I'd, I'd like to see just the early days of Simon Pegg and just how him and Edgar Wright just played so well off each other. <laughs> and until next time, uh, we are the Film Literates. Keep it easy.